I built a rental portfolio of 38 doors by the age of 26. And then I was able to quit my job and retire, which I say in air quotes because people get mad at me for using that word. I became financially independent at 27, quit my job, and I'm now living off $20,000 a month in passive income. So that is the high level. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is your host, as always, Brian Lubin. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy podcast. Today, we have one of my favorite overall just general life advice episodes where we talk about a bunch of good financial stuff, a bunch of practical real estate step-by-step practices. And at the end, we talk about a lot of emotional hacks and tips to just be your best self. And I freaking love this episode because it covers every base. But before I introduce you guys to the guest of honor today, I want to give a shout out to my new friends that I made over the last two weeks. These people are all baller avid listeners of this podcast, members of the Action Academy family that went in the show description. They booked a call with me to talk about life, talk about business, visions, and goal setting. And I want to give a shout out to all of them because each and every one of these conversations is important and special. And each one of them impacted me as much as they hopefully impacted those that I'm about to name. So I want to give a shout out to Brandon, Justin, John, Brendan, Ernest, Maggie, and Caitlin, Gabe, Ryan, Jacob, and Jake. Thank you guys for listening to the show. And as a reminder, if you guys need help with goal setting, vision planning for 2023, book a call in the show description. I'm doing about five calls per week, and this is how I fulfill my fulfillment goals for the year. So this is very important for me. So book a freaking call. And now, without any further ado, let's get to the guest of honor, Miss Rachel Richards. Rachel has a bawling social media brand with over 100,000 followers on her Instagram at MoneyHoneyRachel. She's also an Amazon bestselling author, selling over 50,000 copies of her book with the same name, Money Honey. And last but not least, she hit financial independence at 27 years old, where she began generating $20,000 through her book sales and real estate investments. So she knows what she's talking about. I'll give you guys a little bit of a schedule for this episode because I want you guys to stick around to the very end because we get really deep and really emotional. So it's important for me that you listen to the episode all the way through. So in the beginning, we're going to talk about a lot of imposter syndrome when it comes to writing a book in particular. She talks about her process of creating the book, of getting into finance in general and real estate and investing. And then we pivot into going into her real estate journey, walking step by step through each acquisition, each strategy that she implemented. Then we talk about syndications in the back end. And at the very end, we talk about how she was brave enough to share a personal struggle that she's been having and dealing with in silence for over seven months. And she finally found the strength to talk about it publicly. That's what we get into at the end of today's episode. So give me 40 minutes of your time today, ladies and gentlemen, and we will give you a real estate masterclass and also help your heart a little bit. You know, it's not just about the money, honey. (laughs) Get it? All right, cool. Enough of me. Let's get to the show. Rachel Richards. Rachel Richards, what is going on? How are you? I'm good, Brian. Thank you. How are you? 
I'm excited to have you. So in the context of the online space, you see a lot of people popping up now that have these financial freedom profiles. They have these real estate accounts. It's becoming sexy. It's becoming cool to become like a creator or an influencer. But as I've gone through them and I'm in the space now, it's pretty easy to sniff out who's completely full of it and who's actually about it. And you are completely about it. You are 1000% the real deal. And so I'm excited, so excited to get into your story and your backstory. You are a best-selling author. I saw the book. You've got an amazing brand. And I want to actually just open up to you to introduce yourself to the audience. And we could go in the backstory to how you got $20,000 of passive monthly income at 26. Yeah, 27. I think you have done something similar. But thank you. I am a lot of things. I'm a former financial advisor. I built a rental portfolio of 38 doors by the age of 26. And then I was able to quit my job and retire, which I say in air quotes because people get mad at me for using that word. I became financially independent at 27, quit my job, and I'm now living off $20,000 a month in passive income. So that is the high level. Okay. So thank you for coming on. It's been a great interview. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) But no, so before we get into the backstory, before we get into how you acquired the rental units, which is freaking impressive. And I tell people, everyone gives themselves like this 10, 20, 30, 40 year window to accomplish these big, hairy, audacious goals. And I'm like, not really. You really only need three years of really intense, concentrated effort, which obviously you proved. But I want to hit on a couple of different topics there that you just said. So the first off is people being angry at you for saying you're retired because that happened to me. And I did not anticipate that. I thought people would celebrate with me when I was like, hey, I left corporate America, financial independence, retire early. I thought we were all supposed to celebrate together. And then everyone was like, you're still generating income. You're a phony. What are you talking about? (laughs) And I didn't expect that. So like, why do you think that is? What's been your relationship with that? I just think people define retirement differently. And that's totally valid. A lot of people will say, well, if you're still working, you're not retired. So that's one definition. Totally get that. I will never stop working. So that's the thing. To me, retirement is not... It's about working if I want to, not because I have to. And that's what my life is like now. I get bored very easily. Yes, I could go sit on a beach for a couple of weeks, but then I would get bored and I'd be like, okay, what's next? I wish I could. I wish I could just retire and then do nothing, but that's not how I am. So I want to keep making an impact and helping people and growing my businesses. I love being challenged. I'm always looking for, okay, what's next? Not to make more money necessarily, but just to grow and be challenged as a person. I love building businesses. I love creating things. And I love making an impact. So I'll never stop. That's why I keep going. All right. Everyone listening, don't listen to me. Don't listen to me. Listen to every other guest that comes on. And that just reinforces what I talk about because it's insane. What I tell people is that if you have made it to the point where you're able to do nothing, you don't want to do nothing. Exactly. Let's take a step back and let's walk through Rachel Richards as a financial advisor Going from that world, which is pretty tame, how do you go from that person to the person where you're like, no, screw this. I'm going to YOLO and I'm going to make this happen like now, because that's a pretty big frame shift between a financial advisor and an investor. So I'm curious about that. I became a financial advisor because I was good at sales. So I paid my way through college selling Cutco knives. Have you heard of it? tells me everything I need to know right there. Oh, Hustle. What does it tell you? <laughs> Hustle. You're the grinder. 
Yes. So my parents could not afford to help me pay for school. So I paid my way through selling knives and I was able to graduate without debt. And I had this passion for helping people with money. I majored in financial economics. So I thought that becoming a financial advisor was the perfect career for me. But it turns out just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it. And that's how sales was for me. It did not come naturally to me. I'm actually very introverted, which people find surprising. But I did not want to be a salesperson. And that's what being a financial advisor is. So I only lasted in that role for nine months. But the passion for helping people with investing in money didn't go away. I just had to figure out a different way to do it. And it was a couple years later that I realized I wanted to write a book. And that was the way that I decided to help people with money. 2017 is really the year things began to change for me. So that was the year I wrote and self-published my first book, Money Honey. Uh, That's where the name came from, Money Honey Mm -hmm. Rachel. And that was also the year that my ex-husband and I started investing in real estate. So we bought our first duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. So we had these two passive income streams rental income and royalty income. And we focused on growing those as much as we possibly could over the next few years to the point where we were able to become financially independent. And that's how it all began. So I'm curious about your journey in writing the book because now you've sold over 50,000 copies. You're an Amazon bestseller. You're killing it. I'm over here singing your praises. At the point of your career, so you wrote the book when you were buying your first duplex? Yes. All right. So I'm curious about your battles with imposter syndrome and everything going through that. Because even me to this day, I'm like, I can't write a book until this point. And everyone's, I can't write a book until that point. So I'm curious about your perspective in the writing process. And did you expect that this was going to become what it is today? Or is this all just taking you by storm still? I did not expect it would have ever performed that and that it continues to perform this well. So this is one of the most intense experiences with imposter syndrome I ever had is when I was writing that book. And I've dealt with imposter syndrome ever since then. But especially when you're writing a book, I think any artist or creative or entrepreneur, when you're putting a product out there for people to see and judge, it's incredibly vulnerable. When I first wrote Money, Honey, I wrote it because I was a former financial advisor and all my family and friends came to me for financial advice, which I loved. At the same time, I began to wonder, why aren't they learning on their own or reading books or looking up websites? And then I realized, oh yeah, that's because personal finance is boring, right? It's intimidating and it's complex and it's overwhelming and no wonder people don't like to learn about it. So I thought to myself, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So I was really excited. The words came pouring out of me. It was just something I very much felt compelled to do, not something I wanted to do for the money. I truly didn't think it was going to make any money. It was just a passion project for me. So I was excited to write it. And then about four months into writing, I quit writing it completely. By then I had done a complete mental 180 and I was telling myself things like, Who do you think you are, Rachel, to write a book about finance? For a young woman who's going to listen to you, your writing is crap. It's going to be embarrassing if you go through with it. Mm -hmm. Those were the things I was telling myself, clearly not being very nice. But I literally quit writing the book and I had no intention of ever picking it back up again. And it wasn't until I sat down with a good friend and confessed to her what I had been doing. And she told me, Rachel, you 
are really onto something here. You have to finish what you set out to do. And so she gave me just enough encouragement to pick it back up. And at the end of the day, the only reason I went through with it is because I told myself, if I can just help one person, that is all I care about. It'll be worth it to me. If I can just help one person, it will be worth it to me. Wow. So I went through with publishing it. I spent $560 on mostly an editor and some other things. That's all I spent because I was like, I'm not even going to see this money back. So this is a total loss. (laughs) But I was able to go through with publishing it. And to my shock, it took off and it just started selling and it was spreading word of mouth and it was selling so many copies. And I made 600 in the first month and then I was making 1000 a month and then 1500 a month. And at first, I still didn't believe I had written a good book because it was my family and friends telling me like, this is great. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're going to say that because they're going to be supportive. But finally, six months later, I started getting emails from strangers and just readers from around the country that didn't know who I was. And they were saying, Rachel, thank you for writing this book. I've paid off my student loans. I've paid off my credit card debt. You've changed my life. But thank you so much. And then I was like, wow, I think I actually wrote a good book. I think I've done something that's changed some people's lives. And so it wasn't until then that I actually got over the imposter syndrome. So what I want to really tell people, if you're thinking about doing something, writing a book, taking on a challenge, doing anything, I got so caught up in what if I fail? What if I embarrass myself? What if I do this and regret it? And it was just the wrong question to ask. It was the wrong what if question to ask. Because what I should have been asking myself is, what if I don't do this and people continue to suffer because I gave into my fear? Wow. Like People continue to suffer because I was too afraid to put my work out there because I was too afraid to be vulnerable. And who who needs to hear this message and who might whose lives might be impacted because I can help them with their finances. So don't give into your fear because you might help somebody and they need you. You really you might have a unique gift to share with the world and people need you. So please don't give into your fear. You really have to put yourself out there. Yeah. So I think we share a brain, but yeah, I thought the podcast was going to be until I have a thousand doors, like who cares what I have to say. And then I talked to a friend and a mentor who's been on the show multiple times. And he said, wow, so you not wanting to start the show because of your fear of the judgment of others is the most selfish thing that I've ever heard you say. I was like, me being selfish. He goes, yeah, because you are denying other people access to information purely based off of your own ego. That's a great way of putting it. Yes. Why do you think... We'll get into the finances and stuff. There's a a million podcasts on how to invest in real estate. We'll blow people away with numbers in a second. But this is a very particular topic that I want to stick on here. I think there's a lot of value here. Why do you think that our own internal voices default to the negative? Why is that? Why don't our internal voices and the voices in our head tell us all the reasons we can do stuff? Why is that? It's really it's insecurity, I think, because even myself... As an author, I have I I don't even look at my book reviews because I have fourteen hundred book reviews on Money Honey, and most of them are positive. I might maybe I have thirteen hundred five and four and five star reviews, but I will still go on and believe the one or two one star reviews, and those will impact me more. And why do we do that? 
It's ridiculous. (laughs) Like we can't even believe the own data objectively ourselves. It's because we have our own securities. And then if somebody speaks to those insecurities, we'll just believe those. But I don't know why. Why do you think? I think that all of life is a giant race to get back to who you were as a child as fast as possible. Like internally. Because I think that when you're a kid, it's just, you're just like, you have your natural strengths and natural areas of opportunity that you gravitate towards and anything's possible as you're a kid. And your parents, your teachers, your friends start telling you the reasons why you can't do stuff. And it may be consciously or subconsciously, but eventually you start to believe them. And then that's something that you and I both had to overcome as we were going through our financial freedom journey. I'm sure your parents were like, what are you doing? Because my mom, when I was buying my first house hack, she was like, you're going to go bankrupt, obviously. Like, this is the worst idea ever. And that was back in 2018. So we've seen what happened with the real estate market there. But uh, I want to go, I want to move to the real estate here in a second. But two key points that Rachel brought up for people that are listening, because I know a lot of you people are either in the process of reading a book or writing a book, in the process of trying to start a podcast. And the two points that you said that I think were the differentiator, where you said that you didn't do it for the money. And that money wasn't a byproduct. You just did it just to help. And your heart was in the right place. You had the good intentions. And so I love that. So let's walk through the real estate journey because you bought the first duplex. Walk us through how the heck that you came to 38 units within two years? Yeah, a little under three years. Okay. So what brought you to that number? Was that something that you were aiming for or did you just stumble into it? We, when I say we, my ex husband and I were aiming for a cash flow number. Okay. We wanted to, yeah. So we wanted to get to $10,000 a month in profits from our rental properties. And we came up with that number because I think our expenses at the time were $6,000 a month. And so that was plenty of income to both cover our expenses and then have a bunch extra for buffer and to keep saving money. So that was really our fat fire number. That was our financial independence number. And then all of my self-publishing income was just extra on top of that. But we really wanted to achieve fire through real estate. So once we got to 38 doors, that just happened to be what got us there. We invested in our first duplex in 2017. And a couple of clarifications too, because people always make assumptions when they hear this massive real estate success story. So first of all, I'm not a trust fund baby. That and, ruins the episode. That was going to be the title right? of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trust fund baby acquires massive portfolio. <laughs> Here's how I turned $5 million into $4 million of real estate. <laughs> yeah. And then secondly, I never made six figures from a job or career. So I was, yeah. I started off making 36,000 and then 32,000 and then 42,000. So by no means was I raking it. That's like insane. It, yeah. So I was on a low income. Now in 2017, my ex had just started making six figures. So combined, we were making a lot and we were living very frugally. Neither of us had student loan debt because he used his military benefits to pay for his college. So we were able to save 50% of our combined income. And that certainly was an advantage. It was an advantage that we were working together. I wasn't doing it alone. And so I do give him credit for, we we did this together. So those were the advantages I didn't have. Those were the advantages I did have. We found a duplex in 2017. It was $100,000 in Louisville, Kentucky. Now I know that there are people in California listening to this being like, I can't even 
buy a parking spot for that amount of money. <laughs> so, oh, I can get over it. I can get over it. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, but I encourage anyone listening to do two things because it is harder in this market. I realize we are in 2022, 2023, and it's harder in this market to find that kind of deal, but it's still doable. You really have to do two things. Number one, you have to be willing to invest out of state. I was very lucky to both live and invest in the same city, but quite often it does not work out that way. You need to find an affordable city, a city that is cash flowing, a city that is landlord friendly. And if you live in a place like Southern California, Northern California, Chicago, New York City, that might be a difficult, if not impossible place to invest and find good deals. So don't be afraid to look out of state. I think Tennessee, Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio are fantastic places to invest. So that's where I invested. The second thing I encourage you to do is look off market for deals. A lot of new investors are looking on the MLS. And you can certainly find good deals on the MLS, the multiple listing service. It's just going to be harder in my opinion. I have found Mm -hmm. a deal on the MLS because I had my real estate license, but it, it was harder to do that. So you have to be creative. You have to do things like driving for dollars and putting up bandit signs and getting probate leads and pre-foreclosure leads and going to auctions and networking, those kinds of things. And it's harder and it takes work. But if you have to be willing to do the things that others are not, if you want to find a great deal in this market. So those are my two biggest pieces of advice if you're trying to invest in real estate right now. So that's my little tangent. (laughs) Yeah. No, and people listening, remember we talk about the deal triangle. So you need one or two parts of a triangle in order to be successful in real estate. You need the money, you need the knowledge, or you need the hustle. So when I talk about you needing the hustle, what Rachel just talked about is literally that. So when I say hustle, that means that you are saying, okay, I do not have the money. I don't have the capital to take the deal down. I don't have the balance sheet to take this apartment complex down. And I don't have the knowledge because I'm just now getting started. So then what role are you going to play in this? What part of the value exchange are you going to provide? You're going to be the person that goes to the people that have the money and have the knowledge and have the experience. And you say, hey, I see that you are looking to buy more real estate in this specific market. Tell me what to go do. And I'm going to go bird dog for you. I'm going to go drive for dollars. I'm going to go door knock, cold mailers. I'm going to do the bandit signs like Rachel said. I'm going to find you the deals and I'm going to get them for you. And then we'll take it down together. So that's what I try to tell people over and over again. It's just be part of that equation. So thank you for providing some tangible examples there. I like also that you had a cash flow goal because that's what I pivoted to before I had a unit goal. And I realized that the unit goal was just a vanity metric just Mm -hmm. to say I own X amount of doors. So when it comes to the cash flow, focusing on that instead of your unit counts and like your property counts, how did that differentiate your approach when you were going through? Okay, so I had a couple minimum requirements. I focused really heavily on cash return on investment and then cash flow per door. So cash on cash ROI, I aimed... And if I can define that too, you want me to break that down? You can go for it. Yeah, sure. Okay, so cash on cash ROI is your annual profit divided by your initial investment. Your initial investment being your down payment, closing costs, any make ready costs if you have to renovate it. So anything you're putting into the property. Out of pocket, Um, yep. Yeah, so it's not the purchase price of the property. It's just your investment to buy the property. So that's cash on cash ROI. I aimed for 12%. And the reason I aim for 12% is because I figured if I can make 8 to 10% in the 
stock market in the long run, because that is what the S&P 500, for example, has returned over the long run in the stock market. I want to make at least a little more than that from my rental properties. Otherwise, to me, what was the point? Because I know I'm going to be putting more work into the rental properties. A lot of people who teach real estate talk about rental properties being passive. And I talk about them being passive, but I always give the clarification of it's not 100% passive. It's a this business. Is not, yeah, this is not a 100% passive income stream. It is way more passive than a nine to five job. And when we talk about it being passive, we are always talking about having a property manager. Mm-hmm. When you own 38 doors and you're self-managing, it's a job. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing that everyone listening does not want to quit their full-time job to become a full-time landlord. So not only do you really need to have a property manager in place, but you need to understand there's always going to be an aspect of manage the manager. And it's not going to be 100% passive. It is going to be something where to maintain these income streams, you're going to have to put in a couple hours a week or a few hours a month to maintain. But to me, that's way better than a 40 hour per week job. So that's what I mean when I call it a passive income stream. Um, and I agree. Like there's degrees of passivity, right? And yes. you, know, you can, and there's levers that you can pull is all a control game because if you have a nine to five job, like there is no lever that you can pull to fluctuate how involved you are. You can't be better at your job and be more passive, but you can be better as an investor and as a business owner. You can acquire skill sets. You can acquire systems. You can acquire processes that allow you to increase your passivity. So it's a winnable game to play. Totally. And within real estate, there's levels of passivity. Mm -hmm. Vacations to me are 100% passive. Long-term rentals are way more passive than owning Airbnbs. So you can, I, I always tell people, pick and choose your strategy based on whether you value your time or your money more. And in the beginning, I was willing to hustle more because I wanted the cash flow more. And then once I built my wealth up, I valued my time more. So I was willing to take less cash in return for having more time freedom, if that makes sense. So thousand percent. And that's what you do with your brand too. So for people listening, if we haven't mentioned it yet, she's at Money Honey Rachel on Instagram. So you need to go follow her. But so walk us through the transition from going from those first couple small multis to jump into the 38. So what is that comprised of? Is that mixed up like four units, eight units? How did that go? Okay. So with the first duplex in 2017, it was a hundred grand. My ex and I each had 10 grand saved by that time that we pooled together to get to the $20,000 down payment. And then... We had already had two single family houses that he purchased with his VA loan. So we didn't have to put money into those. I don't really count those in our overall portfolio because we lived in those as primary residences and later rented those out. It was, I guess, really, it was just a house hack situation. And then we purchased a three boarding houses. So these were much bigger properties that it was a pretty unique model because these were quadplexes, triplexes, converted duplexes that we rented out by the room. So they were really large buildings. Yeah, co-living, really large buildings. And they had 10, 11, 12 tenants in each property. Nice. Okay. So was this something that you were aiming for? Or is this something where you're just like, oh, this is a good deal. Let's look into this. Yeah, we found the deal. We found the initial deal on the MLS. And it blew my mind because... It was a building that was listed for 430000 It was a fourplex. And then the rent that was listed that it was bringing in, the rent revenue, 
was it? It was either seventy two hundred or seventy six hundred, and I was like, "This can't something be something right. wrong." <laughs> yeah, this must be an error. So I called the seller and I was like, "Is what's going on here?" And they were like, "Come down, take a look. We'll, we'll explain it to you." And they explained to us this boarding house model, and it just blew our minds. It was such a win win because not only are these buildings a cash cow but they are providing affordable housing to the community. So instead of renting out one unit to a tenant, they're renting out each bedroom to a tenant. So you have 12 tenants in this one building. Each tenant was only paying like $600 a month to get a fully furnished private bedroom. And that included utilities and Wi-Fi. So it was just the most affordable living situation. Every city needs this. And once we bought this property, we just had wait lists of people. I've never had a property stay so occupied ever that I've ever owned. People just begged to have a place to stay here. And it worked so well. And I just felt like I was doing a good thing for the community. And I was making a ton of money. So overall win-win. I loved owning those. Uh, the downside is that it was a pain in the butt for sure. <laughs> you talk, you have these people living in a confined space, sharing kitchens and bathrooms. I felt like I had 33 adult children. <laughs> I was about be, to say. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, this guy stole my food. Or can you, this person's using the laundry late at night and making a Mom. bunch of noise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, guys, please. <laughs> and uh, so we did actually sell those boarding houses last year which was really great timing because 2021 was a great year to sell and we profited mm -hmm. a lot and we made out really well, but they served us well in the years that we owned them and we made a ton of money. I love that. Okay. That's freaking awesome. But yeah, I was going to ask you like what processes did you come up with to manage that? Because for me, I do like a hybrid co-living situation with my properties. I do a three, two. So I buy five bed, four bath split levels. So I do three, two upstairs. And then I just rent that. That's my HGTV unit. So I just rent it as just, hey, here's the three, two. And then the downstairs, I do rent by the room. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So it's like a hybrid model. And yeah, so there are different times where you're like, okay, come on, guys, be adults. But yeah, so that's awesome. Between those, you had two of the boarding properties? I had three of those. Yeah, One was a converted quad, a converted triplex, and a converted duplex. But between the three of the, I forget if there was... 10 or 11 or 12 tenants in each of them. But that's that was most of our units. Yeah. Okay. So then what did you do once we sold these? How did we transition this into the new portfolio? So I did not do a 1031 exchange. And all the real estate investors are like gasping in horror that I did not do a 1031 you just made exchange. My heart, you just made my heart jump. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's it's I think that investors look at that as a given when you sell real estate. Sure. But once I really researched it and looked into it, I don't think it's always a given because my ex and I were not trying to build out our real estate portfolio. We weren't selling them to try to acquire more real estate anyways. So that was part of the reason. Another part of the reason is that a 1031 exchange defers capital gains taxes. It doesn't get rid of them. Mm -hmm. so unless you're going to buy a property and keep it until you die, it's not solving any problems for you. And I wasn't sure if I was going to make that commitment. Another thing is that I had so much going on last year. And the 1031 exchange rules are very specific. You have to identify a replacement property within... Like 45 days, days yeah. I think. Then you have 180 days to close. The replacement property needs to be as big as or worth more than the one that you sold, something like that. It's very specific. And I did not have time 
to find a property. And then in that market too, the market was going crazy and appreciating. And I didn't want to feel pressure to buy a property that might not have been a good deal and just buy it just to, to for a tax purpose. And really, maybe it wasn't a good investment. I didn't want to feel that pressure. So there was a lot of reasons. But ultimately, we were at a place where we could sell, we could pay the taxes, and I wanted to transition the money into syndications. And yes, you can do a 1031, you can do a DST into a syndication. And there's a whole... It, I could get into that. Yeah, like, <laughs> but it's a lot. Yes, exactly. And I could get into why I didn't want to pursue that either. But at the end of the day, it's not a bad thing to pay taxes. You That means you made a lot of money. And so I was fine with it. I was fine with taking the tax hit. And then I've been working on transitioning all the profits into syndications, which is ultimately what I really love because it's so passive and I don't have to do anything. And it's my favorite thing now is investing in syndications. So that's a high level of why I didn't do a 1031. No, personal finance is personal. We say that all the time. And it's just really, why are we doing any of this? And it's for peace of mind. It's for relaxation. It's for freedom. So it's if it's going to be a situation where you're forced to scramble, especially in this market, to find a 1031 exchange in that 45-day window, that's a lot of stress. And that's a lot of that will completely consume you to be able to do that. So yeah, you know, Sometimes yeah. you just got to you just got to bite the bullet and do what you got to do. So now you're an LP or are you trying to GP any syndications or no, you want to just purely be passive? Yeah, I'm an LP. The whole thing was I wanted to have more and more passive income streams. So that's sure. also why I was like I don't want to own these boarding house style rental properties anymore. I just want it. And that's also why I was like I'm not trying to buy another rental property. I want to get into syndications. So I'm an LP. I've invested in nine syndications so far. It has been great. I don't have to do anything. I'm making good money. I just had my first syndication sell from one that I invested in three years ago. I invested 25K and I got 38K back. So I'm really happy with how it performed. So what are the distributions looking like for people that are maybe looking into getting into syndications? First off, did you do the 506C or the 506B? I've done both. Okay. One is one only allows accredited investors to invest. That's C, right? I don't remember which is which, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, think that one, other... I think that one's the C, and then the B is just like you have to know them personally or some provision like that. Yeah, the other one will allow both accredited and non accredited investors. Okay, perfect. So, then your capital yeah. stacks were 25, 50K? I've done mostly 25K and I've done 50K in a, a few of them. And I always get asked, what are the returns like? How much are you making? And it's sure. a hard question to answer because part of the return you're going to make overall is based on the cash flow throughout. And then part of the return is going to be based on whatever happens when it sells. So I've only had one sell and that performed really well. The other ones, I don't know what the overall return is going to be until the whole syndication is done and it sells. Also, most syndications the cash flow ramps up. So the cash flow that they might promise you or project in the early years might be 5% in year one and 7% in year two and 9% in year three, and it ramps up over time. That's pretty standard and pretty common from what I've seen. I get that question. It's hard to just be like, oh, 10% or it's 15% because it really depends and every one of them is structured yeah. differently. And there's so many different types of syndications. You can invest in multifamily apartment complexes. You can invest in self-storage laundromats, mobile home parks. You can really syndicate anything. 
some of them don't cash flow up front because it's literally a new development. It's new construction. So you're just investing for appreciation. I don't invest in those because I think they're too risky, but sorry to give you an answer of it depends. That's so annoying, but that's the truth. Interviews canceled. Interviews yeah. deleted. No, it's okay. No, that makes a 1000% sense. And yeah, and also it's going to depend on the individual operator. It's going to depend on the deal structure. It's going to depend on when they're exiting and having their capital event. There's a bunch of different variables and factors. The reason I was asking was your original goal was this cash flow of like $10,000 a month. And so that's why I was asking was since your original goal was that and you were making like $20,000 a month, then with these distributions of the syndications, they're not necessarily giving you that much cash flow anymore. So like, where is that coming from? And how have you pivoted with your cash flow goals? Or has your book just taken off so much and your own other stuff replaced that so that you can take a more backseat role in the syndications? No, it's changed a lot over time. And my passive income and cash flow has been impacted a lot because of the divorce. So what I want to do is build back up my rental portfolio next year. But yeah, back in 2019, when I quit my job, we had 10K a month just from rental properties. Oh, we sold last year, most of our rental portfolio. So that obviously went down. But my goal is with syndications to get that back up to 10K. So I haven't honestly calculated because this year has just been crazy with everything that happened with my divorce. Sure. I would guess that my passive income from my real estate, meaning my rental properties plus my syndications, is somewhere between 5 and 10K. And then the other... Because I know I'm still making 20K a month in passive income. I think a lot of it now is from the books and then my one passive course that's pre-recorded. Yeah. And I do have active income streams as well. I just don't include them in that number. How dare but you I, have active? How I, dare you? I want to get back up to 10K a month from real estate though. Okay. No, that's awesome. That was my assumption because that's why I tell people, I'm like, hey, look, like, do a thing, do cool stuff, document it, grow a brand, build an audience. Attention is the new oil. Attention is the new most valuable currency. So if you have attention, then you can create community, you can create course, and then you can literally build a very substantial lifestyle off of that. And so I think as we're coming to the end of the interview here, I think that may be a good point to talk about what you and I talked about in the beginning, which is your brand. And like I said, for people, you need to go follow Rachel on Instagram. Her Instagram's amazing. And it's a lot of great information for getting started in your financial journey. But you did something recently that really stood out to me and it stood out to a lot of other people and it really resonated. And that was posting about your personal life and sharing a vulnerable moment and sharing a moment where you had to overcome weakness and become strong. And it was insane to see how it resonated with people and how it impacted people. And I told you at the beginning of this episode, I said, I told you how it impacted me. And I'm just curious about all of the love and support that you've received. And if you want to talk a little bit about that, maybe for other people, that are struggling, if they have a brand or if they don't have a brand, if they're going through something that's really huge in their life and they're struggling to share it for fear of appearing weak, can you give them some words of encouragement to share their journey to see what the reaction will be? Yes. And thank you for saying all that. That means a lot. You're welcome. Yeah. This year was really difficult because I have this platform. My IG has 100K followers now. Then I have TikTok and other stuff too. And I was going through this really awful 
dark time of going through this divorce, which is the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. And legally, I just made the decision with my attorney to not speak about it. And obviously there were, even if I could speak about it, I might not have wanted to share that anyways. But my divorce was finalized on October 21st. And then I finally felt like I could talk about it. Because one of my things is I just always want to be transparent with my audience and followers. And I've always been very transparent about numbers and income and where does the money come from and whatever, and just try to be authentic. So it has literally bothered me all year that I couldn't share what was going on. So it was a relief in a way to finally put it out there, but it was also like the scariest thing ever. Not because I was afraid of appearing weak, but I was just afraid of what people were going to say or if they were going to judge or just be mean. Because there's a lot of trolls online (laughs) and I'm obviously just still in a really like sensitive place with everything. And I was like, one person being mean, like I just can't handle it. (laughs) So I just needed kindness and that's all. So that's why I was scared to post it. And the reel that I made just showed the reality of like, I was so depressed and crying every day for seven months But then I had to show up for my business and for my clients and like giving speeches. Like during this time in October, for example, I gave the biggest speech I'd ever given at the Bigger Pockets conference. Let's go. (laughs) Thank you. And I crushed it. I'm like really proud of myself. It seriously was one of the best things that I ever did. And I got so much positive feedback and I truly feel like I crushed it. But I was, I was still giving podcasts and I was still putting out like funny social media content and doing other things, workshops, whatever. And then the whole thing on the reel was like behind the scenes, I was just severely depressed and crying. And even the day after I got back from the Baker Pockets conference, I was just literally, there was a day that I was in bed for 12 hours on and off crying. And just no one would have known that or known what was going on. I'm even like getting anxiety just talking about this right now. It's okay. Take your time. But I got you. (laughs) Thanks. Putting that reel out, I just remember like my hand was literally shaking that morning when I pushed post because I was so terrified of what people were going to say. But I've never had such an outpouring of love and support ever in my life. And like my phone was blowing up, not just on Instagram, but messages like people were calling me, FaceTiming me, texting me. And I just spent the whole day responding to everything and I couldn't even keep up. I And I, my social media manager, I was like, I want to handle this because normally she responds to a lot of my comments and messages. But I personally responded to every single comment and message that came through that week. And it meant so much to me. Like the things that people said were so absolutely nice and supportive. I just was... I was completely blown away. Yeah. So anyone listening that was supportive of me that week, thank you. Because I just can't even describe how much it meant to me. Yeah. And thank you for sharing. Seriously. Like you and I talked before this because we just met. We haven't been like buddy, buddy forever. So I was just like, hey, straight up, I want to take it in this direction. I was like, do you want to take it in this direction? And then we made the both made the decision to do it at the end here. So I want to say thank you. And I appreciate you for the strength that you have in sharing that with us today. Because for everyone listening to this that doesn't follow you, a lot of them are going through stuff and they're afraid to talk about it and they're afraid to share it and even myself it's like people listening like very obviously haven't been posting bella for months and months because we ended it i wanted marriage and kids and she did not 
So now it's been a weird transition for me because I'm the guy posting monkeys in Brazil and traveling around the world and going to Greece. And they're like, how did you lose your relationship while you're doing that? And I'm like, because that's life. Yeah. And that's how it goes. So thank you for sharing that. That was really awesome. And thank you for talking about it today. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just important to realize that the people on social media who are financially independent and traveling the world, like it's not, problems. yeah, <laughs> they just look different. <laughs> I know. And that's why it's another reason I'm glad I put it out there because it's not because I also when I first separated from my ex in April, I like fled to Italy <laughs> and I went to Italy and natural, Croatia for two months. Progress, natural progression. <laughs> I know I had my eat, pray, love moment. Although in the movie, Julia Roberts made it look way more fun than it was. Although it was a lot of fun. There was just more crying involved. But yeah, I think it was just, it looked like this amazing trip, but then people didn't realize that I would go on these adventures and then I would cry. And then it was like, I would eat pasta and then I would be like on a therapy call. The pasta just, probably helped though. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's a pregame. It's a yeah. pregame therapy. Crying uh, in, with gelato in Italy is better than crying in the U.S. without gelato, for sure. That's so. why we do financial freedom, folks. Exactly. Yeah. Because depression will come at some point. <laughs> but when it does, it's helpful if you can buy a plane ticket to go to Brazil. Honestly, Italy. it really is. So <laughs> on that, So on that note, where can people find you? Where can people follow you? Where can they get the book? Yes, thank you. So my Instagram is Money Honey Rachel, and both of my books are on Amazon in paperback, ebook, audiobook, Money Honey. They're called Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. And well, what I would love to do for your followers, Brian, is if anyone would like to download my Passive Income Starter Kit, I would love to give that for free. So you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com forward slash passive income to download that. All right, guys, you heard it here first. Go to the website and Rachel and I were talking off camera and she said that the 27th person that downloads that gets their own free emotional support ticket to Italy for themselves. (laughs) So go and download the book. It's going to be amazing. But Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a pleasure. You dropped some financial bombs. You t- dropped some self-worth bombs, some transparency and authenticity bombs. So thank you for coming on to Sharon. Thanks, Brian, for having me. All right, I appreciate it. This has been Brian and Rachel with the Action Academy Podcast, signing off. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want, and I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.